Cases. Trespassers. The Occupier's Liability Act 1984 and in Scotland the Occupier's Liability, Scotland, Act 1960 requires all owners of property to take reasonable steps to make their premises safe for anyone who enters them, even those who enter as trespassers, if they are aware of a risk on the premises. However, the doctrine of volenti has been applied to cases where a trespasser exposed themselves deliberately to risk. Titchener v. British Railways Board Ratcliffe v. McConnell, and Tomlinson v. Congleton Borough Council In the first case, decided before the Occupier's Liability Act was passed, a girl who had trespassed on the railway was hit by a train. The House of Lords ruled that the fencing around the railway was adequate, and the girl had voluntarily accepted the risk by breaking through it. In the second case, a student who had broken into a closed swimming pool and injured himself by diving into the shallow end was similarly held responsible for his own injuries. The third case involved a man who dived into a shallow lake, despite the presence of no swimming signs, the signs were held to be an adequate warning. Drunk Drivers The defense of Volenti is now excluded by statute where a passenger was injured as a result of agreeing to take a lift from a drunk car driver. However, in a well-known case of Morris v. Murray, Court of Appeal, Volenti was held to apply to a drunk passenger, who accepted a lift from a drunk pilot. The pilot died in the resulting crash and the passenger who was injured, sued his estate. Although he drove the pilot to the airfield, which was closed at the time, and helped him start the engine and tune the radio, he argued that he did not freely and voluntarily consent to the risk involved in flying. The Court of Appeal held that there was consent, the passenger was not so drunk as to fail to realize the risks of taking a lift from a drunk pilot, and his actions leading up to the flight demonstrated that he voluntarily accepted those risks. Rescuers. For reasons of policy, the courts are reluctant to criticize the behavior of rescuers. A rescuer would not be considered volans if he was acting to rescue persons or property endangered by the defendant's negligence. He was acting under a compelling legal, social or moral duty, and his conduct in all circumstances was reasonable and a natural consequence of the defendant's negligence. An example of such a case is Haynes v. Harwood, in which a policeman was able to recover damages after being injured restraining a bolting horse, he had a legal and moral duty to protect life and property and as such was not held to have been acting as a volunteer or giving willing consent to the action, it was his contractual obligation as an employee and police officer and moral necessity as a human being to do so, and not a wish to volunteer, which caused him to act. In this case the Court of Appeal affirmed a judgment in favor of a policeman who had been injured in stopping some runaway horses with a van in a crowded street. The policeman who was on duty, not in the street, but in a police station, darted out and was crushed by one of the horses which fell upon him while he was stopping it. It was also held that the rescuer's act need not be instinctive in order to be reasonable, for one who deliberately encounters peril after reflection may often be acting more reasonably than one who acts upon impulse. By contrast, in Cutler v. United Dairies a man who was injured trying to restrain a horse was held to be volans because in that case no human life was in immediate danger and he was not under any compelling duty to act. Also, although to be a neighbor within Lord Atkins' dictum, a claimant must be so closely and directly affected by one's act that one ought reasonably to have them in contemplation, rescuers are invariably deemed to be neighbors, even if their presence would objectively seem to be somewhat unlikely, Baker v. Hopkins unsuccessful attempts to rely on volenti. Examples of cases where a reliance on volenti was unsuccessful include Nettleship v. Weston, and 
Baker v. T. E. Hopkins and Sun Limited. In the first case, the plaintiff was an instructor who was injured while teaching the defendant to drive. The defense of Volenti failed, that is, because the plaintiff specifically inquired if the defendant's insurance covered him before agreeing to teach. In the second case, a doctor went in to try to rescue workmen who were caught in a well after having succumbed to noxious fumes. He did so despite being warned of the danger and told to wait until the fire brigade arrived. The doctor and the workmen all died. The court held that it would be unseemly to hold the doctor to have consented to the risk simply because he acted promptly and bravely in an attempt to save lives. Generally courts are reluctant to recognize voluntary assumption of risk. An example of a court reluctant to find a voluntary assumption of risk includes Kerry v. Lake Macquarie City Council's Kofor. Instead the conduct amounted to contributory negligence, which is not a complete defense. Ex turpi causa non oritor actio, Latin from a dishonorable cause and action does not arise, is a legal doctrine which states that a plaintiff will be unable to pursue legal relief and damages if it arises in connection with their own tortious act. Particularly relevant in the law of contract, tort and trusts, ex turpi causa is also known as the illegality defense, since a defendant may plead that even though, for instance, he broke a contract, conducted himself negligently or broke an equitable duty, nevertheless a claimant by reason of his own illegality cannot sue. The UK Supreme Court provided a thorough reconsideration of the doctrine in 2016 in Patel v. Mirza. Illegality in English Law Development In the early case of Holman v. Johnson Lord Mansfield C.J. set out the rationale for the illegality doctrine. The objection, that a contract is immoral or illegal as between plaintiff and defendant, sounds at all times very ill in the mouth of the defendant. It is not for his sake, however, that the objection is ever allowed, but it is founded in general principles of policy, which the defendant has the advantage of, contrary to the real justice, as between him and the plaintiff, by accident, if I may say so. The principle of public policy is this, ex dolo malo non oritor actio. No court will lend its aid to a man who finds his cause of action upon an immoral or an illegal act. If, from the plaintiff's own standing or otherwise, the cause of action appears to arise ex turpi causa, with the transgression of a positive law of this country, there the court says he has no right to be assisted. It is upon that ground the court goes, not for the sake of the defendant, but because they will not lend their aid to such a plaintiff. So if the plaintiff and defendant were to change sides, and the defendant was to bring his action against the plaintiff, the latter would then have the advantage of it, for where both were equally in fault, potior est conditio defendentis. Tort. In the law of tort, the principle would prevent a criminal from bringing a claim against, for example, a fellow criminal. In National Cold Board v. England, Lord Asquith said, If two burglars, A and B, agree to open a safe by means of explosives, and A so negligently handles the explosive charge as to injure B, B might find some difficulty in maintaining an action for negligence against A. In USNV Meridian Shipping Services Private Limited, an employee who had obtained his position by concealing his epilepsy was held not to be entitled to claim compensation for future loss of earnings as a result of his employer's negligence, since his deception, resulting in a pecuniary advantage contrary to the Theft Act 1968, would prevent him from obtaining similar employment in future. It is not absolute in effect. For example, in Revel v. Newberry an elderly allotment holder was sleeping in his shed with a shotgun to deter burglars. On hearing the plaintiff trying to break in, he shot his gun through a hole in the shed, injuring the plaintiff. 
At first instance, the judge awarded damages on the basis that the defendant had used violence in excess of the reasonable limits allowed by lawful self-defense and was negligent to the standard of care expected of a reasonable man who found himself in such a situation. On appeal the defendant raised the defense of ex turbicaza, but the Court of Appeal held that while public interest required that someone should not benefit from his illegal conduct, different considerations applied in cases arising in tort as opposed to those in a property or contract context. Old Common Law Authorities and the Law Commission Report, Liability for Damage or Injury to Trespassers, acknowledged the existence of some duty towards trespassers, and the defendant could not rely on the doctrine to relieve himself of liability. The precise scope of the doctrine is not certain. In some cases, it seems that illegality prevents a duty of care arising in the first place. For example, in Ashton v. Turner the defendant injured the plaintiff by crashing the car they sat in together in the course of fleeing the scene of a burglary they had committed together. Eubank J. held that the court may not recognize a duty of care in such cases as a matter of public policy. Similarly, in Pitts v. Hunt the Court of Appeal rationalized this approach, saying that it was impossible to decide the appropriate standard of care in cases where the parties were involved in illegality. If the illegality vanishes as a result of legislative action, for example a law making a tortious act not tortious, or some subsequent court case where the law is declared invalid, the tort action will stand. In the case of Martin v. Zierl, the two parties were girlfriend and boyfriend until Martin discovered Zierl had given her herpes. Martin sued Zierl for damages in Virginia Circuit Court, and Zierl argued that because of the case of Zisk v. Zisk, since having sex with someone they were not married to was technically the crime of fornication, Martin could not sue Zero because she got herpes as a result of the illegal act. Martin argued the act was unconstitutional. The court agreed with Zero and against Martin. Martin appealed, and the Supreme Court of Virginia reversed, agreeing with Martin's argument that because the United States Supreme Court had decided in Lawrence v. Texas that non-commercial, private intimacy was a protected right, the lawmaking fornication a crime was unconstitutional, Thus Martin could now sue since the law that made having sex with someone they were not married to was struck down as void. Trusts. In other cases, the courts view ex turpi as a defense where otherwise a claim would lie, again on grounds of public policy. In Tinsley v. Milligan, overruled by Tinsley v. Milligan, Nichols L.J. in the Court of Appeals spoke of the court having to weigh or balance the adverse consequences of granting relief against the adverse consequences of refusing relief. The plaintiff was ultimately successful in Tinsley v. Milligan in the House of Lords, which allowed the claim on the grounds that the plaintiff did not need to rely on the illegality. Moore Stevens v. Stone Rolls Limited. Contract. The doctrine in the aspect of contract essentially does the same thing as one of the vitiating contractual elements known as illegality. Here contractual remedies cannot be enforced by a court on a defendant if it is manifest that the subject matter of the contract is either directly or by implication, contrary to public policy or in contradiction with any existing law or custom. A somewhat related concept in the law of contracts is the equitable defense of unclean hands. Everett v. Williams. Major reconsideration of the doctrine by the UK Supreme Court. In 2016 the UK Supreme Court provided a major reconsideration of this doctrine, in Patel v. Mirza, overruling the test in Tinsley v. Milligan and replacing it with a new set of principles. The changes were described as revolutionary by a judge on the case, Lord Sumption, as in the judgment.